Hi, I'm Mike Massimino, uh, also known as Astro Mike on social media. Uh, you're listening to Star Talk All Stars. I'm the host tonight, and I have with me my good friend and comedian, Chuck Nice. Hey, Mike. How's it going, buddy? Doing well, Chuck. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me back. Well, I'm not really. You're, you're the co host, but really, you kind of run the whole operation. <laughs> no. You know, you're, no. All right. Anyway, thanks for having me and be your, your host. <laughs> and we have a special guest today, uh, Professor David Kipping. Also, a professor. I'm happy to be a professor at Columbia, too, but you're like probably like a really good tenure track kind of professor, aren't you? <laughs> I would get discoveries and everything, yeah. educating lots of students. Uh, David leads the Cool Worlds Lab. Can you imagine that name of this? They got this name in his lab. The Cool Worlds Lab yeah. at Columbia. What graduate student wouldn't want to be a part of the Cool <laughs> Worlds And you lab. lead this. So you're yeah. the coolest dude in the Cool Worlds Lab at Columbia. Yeah. Ded- now, Chuck, listen to this here. You ready? Right. Dedicated to discovery of new worlds in the universe. Nice. You know, most of the people are, there are labs there that are like coming up with new soaps. Right. You know, this guy, what, you know, what David's got going is new discovering world. new worlds. We're not looking for anything really big here. <laughs> we're not looking, you know, this is not a different way to use soybeans. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. we're, we're not sending, we're, not, we're going really big now. You know, this right. is really big. I don't really care about textiles. We want a whole new world. I took that's the what intro from the Enterprise, you know, James T. Kirk when he's like discovering new worlds. And I was like, yeah, that's yes. going to be. Right. There you yeah. go. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. All right. New civilization. Sounds very exciting. And what are we, do- what are we doing? So we're doing uh, cosmic queries sure. from our fans. What do we got? Chuck, give us some queries. So here we go. As we normally do with cosmic queries, we um, solicit questions from all over the internet. And as usual, we always start with a Patreon patron. Uh, because they give us money. So, um, this is Frank Kane, and he says, the W-First Space Telescope is on NASA's budget chopping block, which, of course, makes me sad. Those are his words, not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, it promised to discover more exoplanets and to shed light on the mystery of dark energy. Tess is already on its way to look for exoplanets, uh, uh, so that's good. But what about dark Energy. Uh, are there any other space telescopes that promise to tell us more about dark energy? Uh, this is Frank from Orlando. Yeah, so Good. the W-First mission was actually highlighted and redlined in the president's budget. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, um, a, it didn't pass through Congress. So Congress, when they take the budget, they you know, do all their own thing to it. And they didn't actually approve that. So they wanted to get rid of W-First in the president's budget, the White House budget, but it wasn't, it didn't go through in Congress. So as as far as I know right now, it's still funded. It's still planned to, to fly. It, it was the number one priority in the last astronomy decade or survey. That's where all these astronomers come together and like, these are the most important missions we need to fly. Mm. And that was number one. And, you know, we would have been pretty disappointed had that been axed because that was the top, tippity top yeah. recommendation. But you might want to keep that quiet, by the exactly. way. You might want to go to another question because, wait a minute, I thought I got rid of that thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. oh, as long as people are still working on it, David, just keep it quiet. Say, I don't know what. <clears throat> Will it be able to build a wall around the earth? That's what I want to know. <laughs> 
Uh, okay. So basically, we're still on track I with think this. We're thing. safe. And yeah, tests can't do dark energy. We need W first for that for sure. All right, cool. Are there any other things looking for dark energy, uh, uh, David? There, I know there's there's the AM, the alpha magnetic spectrometer on the ISS. Is that yeah. maybe that's more dark matter than dark energy, or is there is there any what else do we have? Do we, is there anything else out there that's doing that at all? Sure about, but on the ground, there's plenty of um, other ground-based observatories mm-hmm. which are doing their own thing. Um, this you- is. I'm okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to show my ignorance here because yeah. that's exactly why I'm here to show my ignorance and hopefully um, um, assuage it. Uh, how do you measure any kind of dark energy from here on Earth? Yeah, that's hard. So usually these missions are interesting, not just dark energy, but also the dark matter. As okay. Well. And, you know, those things are quite different. The dark matter, you can kind of see that by the effect it has on light. So you look at a distant galaxy, you see the light coming off it, and the light gets warped by dark matter in between you and that distant galaxy. Right. And you see the, the galaxies don't look the right shape. They have these strange uh, distortions to them. So by identifying... Gravity these, can bend light is the mm-hmm. yes, right there, right, sorry, David? That's exactly that's, right. That yeah, it's like a lens, essentially. Gravitational so lensing. Like, gravitational lens. Yes. Okay. So by looking at these, these lenses, these invisible lenses that you can't see with you know with with the naked eye they don't uh, emit any light or anything but they do warp light that passes through them so right. we can detect the dark matter that way and the dark energy is usually studied by looking at the expansion of the universe how fast is things right. moving away from us so you study this by essentially measuring the velocities of distant galaxies so you're really not looking at it per se you're looking at objects affected by it exactly it's all okay. indirect i got you yeah. okay that, now that makes sense mm-hmm. that, that 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 clears things up for me i've got one other question though, because ahead. we can see the effects of it but aren't they actually looking for what it is i mean they can see the effect they can see the effects of dark energy dark matter yeah, yeah which is which is mind-blowing but now we got what is this stuff the reason it's called dark energy or dark because we don't know what it is so are we now looking at the, with this w first is they're going to try to identify what that energy source is is that the point of it or is sure. it so you can more evidence by measuring it very precisely you constrain the the theories and the you know there's different ideas about what dark energy might be or the mm-hmm. particle which dark matter might be and so by measuring it ever more precisely in the way it behaves it allows you to exclude various hypotheses but you can't you know, physically have it in a test tube and shake it and look at it, that you can't mm-hmm. do that. It's invisible. There are some experiments on Earth where they try to um, observe the interaction of maybe high-energy cosmic rays with mm-hmm. dark matter. There should be dark matter maybe in the Earth, and you might expect sometimes it hits one of these particles and creates a little flash. Mm-hmm. So they go into deep into these uh, gold mines, these abandoned gold mines, mm-hmm. where there's basically very little distortion or anything, else, no light around you whatsoever. And if you see these little flashes of light, it tells you that maybe there was an interaction there between a dark matter particle and a, and a high-energy cosmic ray. So there is some studies on Earth that try to actually get at what types of particles it might be by doing these deep experiments in the mines. But um, mostly when we do astronomy, we can't Mm. physically hold it. So it's more about constraining its properties to then understand what models are excluded or allowed. Do we know about how much of the universe's dark matter? Do we have an estimate of that? It's it's a lot, most of it, isn't it? It's, yeah, uh, I can't can't remember. I think it's something like, um, we think it's like 70% dark energy, about 25, 
26%, 27% dark matter. Yeah. And then and the rest then is the us. Red, that like one or 2%. Well, we can recognize. Like, we can see. Normal, regular matter. Yeah. Wow. Can you imagine? So most of that stuff, we don't know what it is. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's wild. <laughs> Makes us feel really foolish, yeah, doesn't it? That's wild. Chuck, what do you think? That is wild. I mean. You need to find out what this stuff is and I'm, bottle it. I'm on it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get these space probes up there immediately. <laughs> so cool. All right. Let's move on. Man, that was fascinating stuff, man. That's that's really cool. Um, this is some generic username from Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> some generic username wants to know this. What new technology will be seen on test that is not on Kepler? Very cool question. Yeah. So actually the, the technology is off the shelf. It's not the, there have been no major innovations in terms of technology, unlike the James Webb Space Telescope, where right. that costs $10 billion almost. Yes. And the reason is because there's a lot of technology development behind that mission. Mm-hmm. TESS is $200 million to build. Oh, in compar- it's a bargain. It's a bargain yeah. relative to James Webb. Mm-hmm. And it's much cheaper than Kepler. Kepler was $600 million. So the reason it's so cheap is because they're not trying to reinvent the wheel. They know this technique works. And so they're, they're using the technology, the existing technology, in a different way. So it is different to Kepler in, in its mission objectives but the actual technology in there isn't dramatically different hmm. interesting it's going to be looking for a lot many more targets than kepler is that true yeah it will study something like uh, 20 million stars will be observed by tess altogether mm-hmm. uh, kepler only looked at 200,000, so you know a factor of 100 more and mm-hmm. um, we expect it will find something like 20,000 planets as well whereas kepler found of order of four or five thousand these plants would tend to be around closer brighter stars so maybe uh next vacation one day in the distant future nearby places and uh it should find something like 50 planets about the same size of the earth or smaller so the amongst these thousands and thousands of planets it will discover of course most of them will probably be jupiters just because they're the easiest thing to find right but those small gems those earth-sized planets we expect it will find something like 50 new earth-sized planets as well Wow, and then and then the uh, after they find them, mm. is is that where the James Webb's telescope is going to come in to help us uh, zero in? Hey, the, yeah. take a look, take a closer look at these James Webb telescope. Yeah, is that yeah. was going to is that That's the, plan? the plan? And there's a nice um, synergy between the missions. You know, test test bags the planets, James Webb bags the atmosphere. That's kind of the gotcha. the, the the relationship. Find out what is what it's actually made of yeah. down there, and then yeah. we can see if there's exactly there's and a couple candidates. Now go check them out. It's kind of like having a real estate agent. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like this neighborhood. That all right? Let's go take right, a closer take a look. look. Yeah. Right, James Webb. You know, or the schools. Yeah, right. That's what James Webb's going to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see if it's very, very cool. Okay. All right. Let's move on to uh, skull and skull and crossbones from Instagram. So, is it feasible to build a space telescope that can view the surfaces of exoplanets and maybe find some plant and animal life? So we were just talking about atmospheres, being able to see that. You know, can we can we get it down to that? Uh, to to that granular level where we would be able to view. I mean, that's a little Google Earth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Google, you know, it's, Google Planet. It's a Google mark. Planet question mark. That's very, very, very challenging. So it's kind of the end point. I think all of us would want to build a telescope like that. It's almost the dream telescope. Gotcha. How would you ever do this? Essentially, it's all about size. You need a gigantic size of your telescope. I'm not talking 10, 20 meters. I'm talking things which are about the same size as the sun. If you want right. to resolve actual, you know, kilometer scales on exoplanets, you need a, you need a sun-sized telescope. Wow. It's actually a trick 
for doing this and it's pretty clever and it comes back to the idea of gravity as a lens again. So the sun does lens light. It is a gravitational source. Mm -hmm. And if you fly out to about 550 times the distance between the Earth and the sun, so that's way beyond the orbit of Pluto, it's about where Planet Nine might live. Okay. And you, uh, you stare at the sun there and you just put your thumb, let's say, over the, th over the sun, light from distant stars would be focused to a point by the sun. So the sun would act like a giant lens. So that Isn't would... That would uh, Einstein and the uh, eclipse... Never mind, go ahead. Coronagraph, maybe you're thinking of. Yeah. Uh, just look at the yeah, corona, yeah. So right? we're blocking out the light with a coronagraph. Yep. Yeah. And light is being bent, and that was what Einstein predicted. That's what he predicted. He said light right. should be bent by, by these gravitational masses. So cool. the focus point of our own sun is pretty far out. It's you know a very long distance to fly to. But if we did choose to fly a mission there, we would be able to resolve just really sending a very small telescope, it would have the same collecting area as the sun because the mm -hmm. sun would do all the bending for you right. and collect all the light for you. So with that telescope, you could resolve about five kilometers on one of the nearest exoplanets. So that'd be pretty impressive. You'd have essentially a Google map at that point. Whoa, that. that's what we need. Yeah, There, there yeah. you go. Man, that's brilliant. Yeah. That is so cool. That one. <laughs> we don't have that one and we don't have that. That's not in the works. I think people are... are, are have dismissed it in the past because it's so hard to fly yeah. far. I mean, yeah. it's a very long way, but I think people are coming around to the idea about it because it's like, yeah. well, wh what's next for X? You know, what's, yeah. what do we do after we start finding these Earth-like planets? And that's right. an obvious yeah. thing. Cool. Hey, great question. Skull and cross. Technology is making a lot of things possible because mm. as we miniaturize things, we can send small, we can send things further. Yeah. That's part of our issue too, is we can get a, right. you know, need a colossal spacecraft in the future. It might be something small, which we maybe can figure out a way to get it further away. Yeah. Cool. There's hope. I think there's hope. There's hope. All right. All right. So here we go. This is uh, William Nash, and he says this. What do you feel are the possibilities of tests finding another planet in our solar system beyond Pluto? So now you mentioned Planet Nine, yeah. which um, gives us the, the effects of a large body out there, yeah. that, but yet we haven't seen it, right? That's right. Okay, so now... Could, could, could any of these telescopes actually give us a definitive answer to that question? Yeah, so TESS is probably not the right telescope to find Planet Nine. And okay. the reason is because it is very focused on looking at things which are quite bright. And Planet Nine is definitely not bright at all. It's one of the faintest, I mean, it is the faintest object in the solar system if it is real. In order to find a planet that faint, you need a very large telescope. You need like a 10 meter, 20 meter class telescope. Mm -hmm. And it is thought that probably the best telescope for this is the uh, LSST, the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope, which is hopefully coming online, I think, 2022. It's a ground-based telescope. It's been a, it's actually one of the very few astronomy telescopes which Congress signed in as like you this is like a super high priority. So Congress is definitely completely behind it. It's going to happen and it will have the ability to survey the entire sky, look at very very faint things including doing dark energy and matter stuff as well, but it would also have the ability to find planet 9. That's not what it was built for, but it will have the capability to find it. Cool. Awesome stuff. And, and it's a fun and exciting time to be alive. It really is. Well, we have to wrap it up, This at least a section segment of the show. Okay. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with David and Chuck and me, Astro Mike, uh, in a moment with more Cosmic Queries.
Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm uh, your host for today, Mike Massimino, former astronaut, known to some of you maybe as Astro Mike on Astro Media on uh, social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, co-hosting today is our comedian Chuck Nice, right? And our special guest, our expert here tonight, is David Kipping. David, thanks again for being with us, and thank you for not running away during the break. <laughs> Glad you're still here. We need to have an Astro Media. Now you said Astro Media, yeah. not a social we media. We do. Astro media. Someone trademarked that yeah. quickly. Astro, yes, yeah. we actually kind of do have Astro Media ready. If you add everybody up, we've got our own little craziness going on. Yeah. Here. Uh, let's get back into our cosmic queries, and we'll start off with Squigman from Instagram. And Squigman wants to know this: Is it true that these are repurposed government spy telescopes? Uh, that were used for covert operations and were originally pointing down at targets on the Earth. Wow. Mm. Ah. And right now he's listening to us uh, with a tinfoil hat on his head. <laughs> Pretty sure. Actually, maybe not. You know, oh! Yeah, actually, W first was a repurposed by satellite. Okay, Squigman, let me just yeah. go on record <laughs> and say that I apologize. Yeah. I'm going to publicly apologize to you for calling you a crazy tin hat wearing guy. But are you for yeah. real, David? Yeah, it was it was repurposed. We were uh, astronomers. NASA were, give, were given two uh, two telescopes that were of order of $200 million in their initial cost, we estimate. Um, Their optics are are clearly not designed for astronomy. They're designed to look down. And it was given to us by um, the National Reconnaissance Office, the NRO, which is essentially the office which spies on the Earth. So you know what that means. That means that there are two much better spy telescopes looking down on us right now because that's the only way they would have given it to you guys. I mean, they have a warehouse full of them and they're like, here's two that, you know, we don't. (laughs) You're out of warranty. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, take these two, see what you can do with them. Like, it's crazy. (laughs) It's amazing. Wow. So these things are like 2.4 meter class telescopes and that's what, uh, you know, that's what Hubble is and that's what W first will be. And the reason is because it was repurposed. The downside is that we have to really mess around with the optics to make it do astronomy. It's not ideal at all. Um, so one of the reasons why W first is, is doing this dark energy and dark matter stuff, it has to look at a huge portion of the sky at one time. That's what these telescopes are designed to yeah. do. They're very wide field cameras. Right. Hubble's not. Hubble's a, a narrow field camera, so they decide to look uh, at targets with very high angular resolution. W first isn't so great for that. So, you know, astronomers had the great idea that, you know, if we're going to have this wide field camera, this is the sort of thing you'd want to do with it. You want to look at lots of galaxies all at once and measure these tiny dark Dark, uh, energy and dark matter effects that we expect to see. Wow. So there may be some truth to that claim. I think it's... But it's not it's a bad repurpose of, uh, yeah. of technology, I <laughs> yeah, guess. Yeah, exactly. What I was going to say, if you're going to get a hand-me-down, it might as well be a government telescope. Yeah, right. It's not like, hey, we, <laughs> makes we've, got some, <laughs> yeah, we've got some leftover uh, macaroni and cheese in the commissary. We want to give that to NASA. <laughs> Feed it to the astronauts. So. <laughs> Here's your brother's sneakers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Let's go to um, Omar Farhat or Farhat or Farhat. Okay. It's either Farhat or Farhat. Okay. I don't know. Uh, from Facebook. And uh, Omar wants to know this. He says, uh, will we ever have the technology that will allow us to see outside of the visible universe? So, I mean, that's pretty cool question. That, you know, so what, what lies beyond 
the actual universe itself. So the universe has got to have an edge, right? If it started in one singularity, it's got to have an edge. Sure. So what is beyond that edge? I think the, the question is probably leading to the observable universe rather than the visible. That's usually how we, yeah, an astronomer would call it, the observable universe. Uh, and this essentially is um, the distance which light leaving that edge, if you like, uh-huh. um, took 13.7 billion years to reach us. Right. And therefore, we can't see something that's 13.8 billion years away from us because the universe has not existed long enough. So it, the universe almost surely exists beyond that point. Mm-hmm. It's just it is not old enough yet for us to see light which was emitted from it, even just after the Big Bang, to have reached us. So this is the observable edge of the universe. So okay. to get beyond that, you almost have to have like a, a time machine or something. Like if you want to see uh, 20 billion uh, light years into the past, then you would the only way to do it would be essentially to fly into the future. So you would have to say, in other words, you would need something that would be able to see faster than light. Or have a way of seeing faster than light. Right. As if you could see faster than light, you could have said you can't do it, right? Yeah, so. Cool. Wow, what a a crazy concept. (laughs) I love it. That's weird. I mean, I just love it. That's okay. So the the answer, Omar, is no. (laughs) (laughs) Einstein's pretty hard. Pretty pretty hard no on that one. (laughs) Is it not yet or is it no? It's, it's, It's pretty much... No, unless you wait billions of years. Right, you got it. And then nature will do the job for you. Uh, Yeah. There's parts of the universe, they can't even affect, it's not that they can't even, we can't even see them, there's no way for them even to affect us, since no force can travel faster than speed light either. So they're literally completely disconnected, it's almost like another universe, it's completely disconnected from us. So warp speed, you're saying, it's not possible, David, is this another state? Maybe that's where you can come in and save the day, Mike. I don't know. We, no, I, I don't have a solution for that right now. All right. <laughs> wow. Let's see. Hey, man. Well, the, that was a great question, Omar. Thanks so much. Um, let us move on to uh, Martian Menge. <laughs> Wait, who is this? Martian Menge says. <laughs> Martian who? Martian Menge says. <laughs> How big is TESS, and how exactly does it detect exoplanets? Sure, that's that's not too bad a, a question to take on. So yes. each camera is about <laughs> Martian Menge. Each each camera is. I'm so, I'm so juvenile. I'm sorry. <laughs> is ten centimeters across, about ten centimeters across. So that's way smaller than Kepler. Kepler was about a meter across, mm-hmm. nine five meters, in fact. Okay. So these it has four of these telescopes. They're each much smaller, and that's because it doesn't need to be huge. It's looking at brighter stars which are nearer to us. So okay. you don't need all that aperture if you're looking at something closer to home. Um, and the actual physical side of the spacecraft, um, it's a, it's of order of a meter across, I suppose, since it has four of these cameras uh, aligned it. So it's a fairly small vehicle. And it fits inside the Falcon 9 with plenty of uh, room to spare. There were some cool photos of the launch where there's all this like empty cavernous space around TESS because it is a relatively small spacecraft well, compared to some of the you know, Hubble-class telescopes, for instance. Yeah, Cool. There you go. Compact and still packing a punch. Like it. It's a lot of advantages there, though, as we said earlier. You can yeah. smaller, you can get it further away with... Not as, you know, with, with, with less difficulty. So. Nice. I mean, I'd love to see even smaller. Why not fly CubeSats that are you know, doing this photometry for all of the stars uniquely? I mean, that's, uh, I think this is kind of the future maybe of astronomy to a certain degree. Smaller is better. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say, uh, so, so that's an idea. Like if you were to 
get a craft out into space mm. and get it, I don't know, beyond or at least to the edge, as close to the edge of the solar system. Sure. And then release these swarm. probes, a swarm of probes, and then have them each one on their own directed mission. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of that idea, David? I like that. Yeah. I, did, I, did you ever hear that? I, heard that idea I just thought of it. You're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Someone write that one Someone down. Write that down. I just don't thought. air this program <laughs> until you Shut get your proposal in. Yeah. That's it. We're, that is the end of our. We have to run to the proposal board. And yeah. that is an amazing idea. Yeah. 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 Isn't that cool, though? You're a genius, man. Thanks. Where'd you get that idea from? No, I'm serious. I just thought it of came it. out of your noggin. It just came out of my head just now. Wow. Holy. You know? Now, I'm sure some government officials will be at my home when I get home, just like, who told you that? Yeah. <laughs> They're on to us. Yeah. Wow. How does this stupid comedian know this? <laughs> All right, cool. Um, not a stupid comedian. That's the- <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, uh, Yash Kai from Google+. Would you say it's impossible to eventually travel to exoplanets? What about sending various forms of communications uh, in an attempt to find intelligent life? So, yeah. Yeah, so there's, there's a, a, an act called METI, Messaging Extraterrestrial Intelligence, which I think mm-hmm. leads to the second half of that question. So you've probably maybe heard of SETI, which is yeah. the search for extraterrestrial right. intelligence. This is messaging. So this is actively broadcasting hello messages saying, hey, we're here. Here's our prime number sequence. Here's our mathematics. Here's, you know, prove that we're smart. I hate that idea. Would you please reply to us? You know? I hate that idea. <laughs> yeah. I do. It's, Why? Because I just feel like you don't know who you who you're talking to, you know. Oh, you know what I mean. It's like it's like if you had a CB radio and you're like broadcasting out, and you're just like, uh, "Hey, anybody out there got their ears on?" And then there's a yeah. killer who's like, <laughs> "Yeah, like one of those bad, one of those bad online we- uh, dating websites." Hey, I'm old. that's yeah. even better. A bad one, yeah, that's really website. bad. We're not, yeah. Oh, sure, we'll come by your planet for the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, that one, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What was your address again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no good. Uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> we right. do that. Maybe that's not a good idea. Yeah. But I think it's not a it's not a thing really. There's been like a couple of transmissions people have sent out, but there's no you know there's no is program to. Is do. it legit though? Is it a good idea? Is it something we should be doing? Do you think? I, I mean, I think it's probably just shouting into the wind to be honest, because I'm kind of pessimistic about the huge yeah. numbers of civilizations out there. But yeah. uh, you know, sure, if someone wants to spend their money doing that, uh, we can discuss that. But. Um, in terms of actually visiting them, which is the, the first part of that question, that's probably a bit more tangible. There's this project called Breakthrough Starshot you might have heard of. It's a billionaire trying to fund, Yuri Milner trying to fund. Was it uh, Stephen Hawking involved with that as he well? He was involved. Uh, Avi Lowe at Harvard's uh, involved. Freeman Dyson's involved. It has many of the, you know, the, the real top shots in, in physics involved in it. And they're, they're quite serious. They want to you know, send a nano-sized, even smaller, a nano-sized uh, uh, craft, something like just a, I say nano, it's really a millimeter across, so not right. really nano-scale, <laughs> and laser pulse it all the way there. So maybe, maybe this might happen in our lifetimes. That's kind of cool, actually. Uh, we were kind of relying on the billionaires to sort of do that at the moment. So uh, there's no government program, but there are, you know, very wealthy individuals who would like us to be able to fly even tiny spacecrafts to the nearest exoplanets. Which, which is interesting. It's not just, right, it's not just the uh, tourism sending, uh, but also this idea for science, uh, those privately funded uh, endeavors to try to do that. Yeah. yeah. So. yeah. Wow, that's yeah. a great idea, actually. 
God, wait. So you're pulsing a craft on a laser. Yeah. So you're basically you're shooting a little spaceship at so, almost almost the speed of light. I think you need to call these guys as soon as we're done taping, Chuck, <laughs> and give them your idea. Because what they do, you get them, get out there to the end of the solar system <laughs> and then push out the laser for the rest of the trip. There you go. I think that you should join forces with these fellas. Yes. Yeah. Me and uh, me and Dyson will get right on. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, Okay, well, I think we have time for maybe one or two more. So, oh, here's a good one. This is um, uh, a friend KC or a Frank C, one or the other. Okay, uh, it says this: Will uh, JST, uh, JWST, the James Webb Space, Space Telescope, mm-hmm. ever get off the ground? I can hardly wait to see what the photos will look like. So, James Webb, I you know, it seems like I've been hearing about it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, is it what is the what is the intended launch date for James Webb? It's been pushed back now to 2020. Okay, um, so it was scheduled to launch next year, right? Um, but for whatever reason, um, I'm not sure of the details. It has been. Push back a little bit further. I think they need more time, ever more time. I suppose it's frustrating, but to really Mm -hmm. test out that this thing's going to work. I mean, it's a huge gamble for us. It's a very expensive telescope. It has to unfold like origami in space. It's too big to fit in the in the rockets. It has to do this unfolding stuff. They want to make sure, absolutely certainly, that there's no doubt it won't perform as expected. Mm -hmm. So when you're gambling that amount of money, you can understand that. Okay, a year or two just to make sure. I'm kind of cool with that. I'd rather yeah, you're not, yep. do it properly than try and rush it out and waste all that money. Yeah, you're going to remember it for a long time if it doesn't work. Yeah. 20 years from now, if a launch delay of a year or two, they'll be like, oh, what? Oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. Yeah. But 20 years from now, go, remember that thing we sent up there and it doesn't work? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'll remember that. Yeah. Which happened with Hubble in a way. Right? But we were able to get to Hubble. I think that's the point, right, David, is that with Hubble, we were able to go there and fix it. With uh, with James Webb, there's no plan to do that. It's not it's too far away. Wow. So we may I don't know. They may take a if something if it doesn't work, maybe they're you know we'll do try to do something, but that's unlikely that that would be possible. So they want to make sure it works. Well, thank you for listening to Star Talk All Stars. I want to thank my co-host Chuck Nice, pleasure, and our special guest David Kipping. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, but thanks. And I'll see you around the campus at Columbia. Both of us are professors. You should come by and visit. Anytime. You may learn something from David and possibly from me, but certainly from David. (laughs) From you about this mission. And we want, yes, set up a meeting. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I'm your host, Mike Massimino. It's been a blast.